welcome to Women's Health, Wisdom, and Wine, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. Coming up, I talk with Dr. Robin Stern about gaslight abuse, the effects of gaslighting abuse on one's mental health, the gaslight effect recovery, and my own personal experience with gaslighting abuse and how I recovered. So grab yourself a glass of Vino Verde and we'll join the conversation after a brief word from our partner. Maintaining your strength and a healthy heart as you age helps promote healthy living and hence quality of life for all people as they age. To help prevent the natural decline of muscle and heart function, it's important to make sure you're getting the nutrition your body needs and not just any nutrition, but science-backed nutrition like Life by the AminoCo. You can take AminoCo's Life Formula as part of your normal routine to help maintain muscle mass as you age, maintain good heart health, and increase longevity as you age. AminoCo's Life is a patented blend of essential amino acids that works to improve quality of life and lengthen total lifespan so you can stay healthy and active as you age. Life has been shown in clinical trials to clinically improve blood lipid profiles by significantly reducing triglycerides, LDL, VLDL, and total cholesterol. This product has also improved physical function in patients with heart failure, and they had the science to back it up. Life is 100% science-backed, and it is designed for heart health and active aging, which are crucial for total lifespan. So why Aminoco? Life works by triggering muscle protein synthesis, which is the body's mechanism for repairing and building muscle. When tested against any protein source, life is more than three times more effective on a gram-for-gram basis at stimulating muscle growth and repair. I know just how important it is for my quality of life and staying healthy as I age. You can check out their science by visiting aminoco.com backslash LW30. I've been on the lookout for something that could help me support healthy blood flow and help preserve heart strength and function while also helping me maintain healthy triglyceride and LDL cholesterol levels. Furthermore, something that tastes great and is easy to incorporate into my daily routine. What's even better is that AminoCo's Perform was created by former Harvard professor and well-renowned clinical researcher, Dr. Robert Wolf. If you're looking for a nutritional advantage when it comes to maintaining muscle mass and cardiovascular health as you age, I recommend you give life a try. And right now, you can get 30% off 
when you visit aminoco.com backslash LW30. That's the letters L, W, and the numbers 30. Again, right now you can get 30% off LW30 when you visit aminoco.com backslash LW30. That's the letters L, W, and the numbers 30. With more young people talking openly about mental health, gaslighting has become an increasingly common topic among this age group over the last few years. Gaslighting and other forms of emotional abuse have can also shown up in popular media, for example, in the Netflix, ser- uh, the Netflix series Made and the novel Made movie, The Girl on a Train. Overall, that's a good thing because greater awareness around this form of emotional abuse can help people avoid threatening and unhealthy relationships. However, it's important to understand what gaslighting really means and how to look for the signs of gaslighting in a relationship. Today, Dr. Robin Stern joins us to discuss gaslight effect recovery. Dr. Stern, please introduce yourself and help us first understand the dynamics of gaslighting. What is gaslighting abuse? Thank you so much, Lorena. I'm so happy to be on this episode with you. And uh, thank you listeners who join today. I hope that you will find this conversation meaningful and that you'll have some takeaways uh, about gaslighting and abuse. That will be helpful in your life. So what is, who am I? I am Robin Stern. <laughs> um, I, my day job is as the uh, associate director. I'm also the co-founder of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence at Yale University in New Haven. And I'm a psychoanalyst by profession, by training. I've been in private practice for 30 years. And at some point, I began to be aware that many of the people I was treating, many of the women I was treating, were uh, otherwise in their life strong, confident, centered, and in their relationships, whether the relationship was with a powerful guy or a powerful woman or a powerful guy in the workplace more powerful someone they were second guessing themselves yeah and what was remarkable to me was the uh if you will the descent into what i call the gaslight effect because it is the effect that gaslight has on you over time but it doesn't happen overnight because there are there are gaslighting moments where somebody will inadvertently say something and say, wait a minute, I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when that becomes the core of your relationship, right. you're dancing the gaslight tango. So for our listeners, and just as a reminder for all of us, um, gaslighting is a kind of psychological manipulation where the more powerful person seeks to sow seeds of doubt in the gaslightee or the less powerful person in the dynamic in order that they second guess themselves or that lead them to second guess themselves or their character or their sanity right or their behavior yes and i think you that just one of the things that you mentioned is that a less powerful and more powerful and in that dynamic including myself and i want to be completely transparent I have been gaslight in a gaslit in a relationship, and I considered myself 
not necessarily more powerful, but definitely no less uh-huh. powerful. And over a period of time, that's where, you know, it came to that. And it was really shocking to me after the fact that this is what, I didn't even know what gaslighting was. Yes. And it was very, I was, I was crushed that I had allowed myself to become the less powerful person when at no point in my life, in no sphere in my life, in no category in my life, was I considered or would I consider myself weak? And I think that's a difference between less powerful and weak is that, that, that even that verbiage to me was something to like come to grips with, but continue. Yeah. So, um, the reason I interrupted you and I did. No, 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 not an interruption. This is a conversation. Go ahead. uh, As if it wasn't bad enough that you were feeling the effects of the gaslighting, your own voice was perhaps judgmental. Yes. Critical of you going into it. So when you said that you couldn't, you couldn't believe it, right? You, um, and that you were, didn't see yourself as weak. Well, it isn't weak. Mm -hmm. It isn't weak because the strongest among us mm-hmm. are vulnerable yes. to that kind of consistent, yes. persistent undermining. And because we're women and we're taught to see it from the other side, be mm-hmm. accommodating, be um, be a pleaser, we, we are actually taught to say, okay, well, could that be true? Is mm-hmm. that a possibility? And yeah. when that is that your reality is not okay, then that becomes the shaky ground you stand on. Yes, and I, it's just that, and I know for so many of our listeners, that is going to be the paradigm because we are meant to be strong in every single aspect of our lives, whether that's family, at home, at church, um, at work, um, even with our you know, sister friend group, you know, we are, we're strong, we're resilient, we can handle it, we can take it and there's just a different dynamic. And I think using the word less powerful, more powerful versus the weak verbiage that I had put in my own head, that itself is empowering. Yes, because um, you often give that power to the away. other. Away, <laughs> right. Yes, yes. So as we continue in 1938, well, before well, most of our, oh, no, go ahead. Before we even get there, like sure. where did this term come from? I. I would love it if you would take a step into your own experience. Oh, and sure. Share. And I will too, because I had my own gaslighting experience. But sure. You first. Well, it was a relationship where I, I mean, just a fast track. It was almost two years. I think the gaslighting, when I like, am clear about it, the gaslighting began around probably four months in to our relationship. Do you remember the first time? I don't remember the first time, but I can remember the the first, how I started to shift. Great. And because the first time there, it wasn't so overt. Uh-huh. It was to me, I mean, looking at, I'm looking at things now in hindsight and now I'm married and, you know, those things are not a part of my everyday occurrence. But in the moment when I realized what was going on, I can realize I had been shifting in not the best ways for the greater portion of our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I can remember thinking in the beginning, if I'm going to be in this relationship and partnership, I cannot have everything my way. 
and certain things I'm going to have to, you know, work together with, you know, my partner so that we can achieve these goals together. And, and some things are going to be different. So you've got to let go of some things and, you know, relax into some of the ways, your practice ways of being, because you can't just go in and accept nobody to budge. And so, you know, you're going to have to, you know, budge on this. Yes, And, and that's what it was. It was a budge on this particular thing. Right. And accommodating is right. actually a good thing. But yes. We yeah. see when you accommodate, as you saw, mm-hmm. to the extent that you're giving up pieces of yourself, it's no longer a good thing. And so- that's what it became. I was not, it, it became not just compromise, not just accommodating. It became, I don't re- recognize who I am anymore. And it became, oh, it's affecting my relationships with my family with my friends but at the same time I'm I was still trying to make reasonable rational excuses for why this isn't or and when it really came to I don't want to say um what just really became salient to me is when I realized no matter how many times he would ask me oh this is what I need from you okay I if this we're talking about clear communication and you're yeah. doing what I asked so I can be a better girlfriend and you know, eventually what I thought would be a better wife, you're, you're asking him to do, to be clear with you in terms of communication. And he asked or requested that I would do X, but I would do X, X plus with a cheerful spirit. Plus. And after a month of that, it was, well, what am I doing wrong? And it was, but you're still not doing Y. So now it was like, okay, I'm doing X. Mm -hmm. I'm doing X plus with a cheerful spirit. Oh, but I didn't understand Y was also built into that. Okay, so now that I understand that Y is built into that, I'm going to do X, X plus, Y, Y plus. Like I'm talking consistency and making sure all those things, like, you know, all the boxes are checked off. And after another month and a half, two months, it was, but what about Z? And were there <laughs> Y Z things that you had to serve up to him that you had to, I, I need you to go here with me, do this for me, be this for me. Like, Not what? necessarily that. Cause it wasn't about controlling like what I dress, like how I dressed or how I wore my hair. It was nothing like overt like that, because those are things that I know for a fact, where I feel I know for a fact I wouldn't tolerate, yeah. but they were things that more so separating me from my friends and my family mm-hmm. but in ways that again if I was myself looking on like well don't let girl don't let somebody do that to you but it wasn't that overt it was very we just went to see your family last month do we need to see do we need to go see them again mm-hmm. stuff like that yeah and again it was couched in you know my family's just not that tight um we don't we don't see each other that often so we just went to see your family last month. Do we need to see him again? And in the beginning, it was like no big deal, but it turned into a, why do you need to see your family so often? Mm-hmm. Not stated that way, but with that type of vibe. Right. And, you know, that's the one that stuck out to me the most. That's the one that, that's the one of those examples that stuck out to me the most. Or you're always with your friends. Why? And I wasn't. Um, if anybody knows me, I'm a homebody. And I was not always with my friends. Um, Lorena, did you ahead. begin to second guess yourself about like, 
well, why do I need to? Why am I overly attached to my family? No, because okay. my thing is, I know my like certain things. I think, and that's what made it so bad. Because I was like, I'm not codependent. I'm not any of these things. Okay. I mean, my family lives in Pennsylvania. I see mm-hmm. them. You know, I. It, it wasn't like I was needing them to survive. I'm, you know, it wasn't that thing. So I was very clear about that, and that was what was becoming. Those are one of the things that I started to realize. This is not healthy because you're trying mm-hmm. to separate me from the people that I love and who love me. Yes. Uh-huh. That's not good. Uh-huh. But it took a, like, it wore me down over the course of about two years before I realized this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And this relationship isn't worth salvaging. And it was, it's like a slow grind, a slow tearing down of, of, of me, the person that I knew myself to be. And it really wasn't, it started off as I'm trying to be the wife, the, the girlfriend, the wife, that I would want to be mm-hmm. in the expect with the expectation that we're doing this together. And there was no togetherness. Mm-hmm. There was no, it was the same things that, you know, my clear communication wound up being nagging. It wound up being, you're always, I'm never good enough for you, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it, again, all combined in this like three minutes of talking, it sounds like, duh, Lorena, this was toxic from the beginning. Mm. And it, it was. But over a period of years when, you know, there's still high moments and you're still going out, socializing, having a good time and enjoying aspects of the relationship, those were craftily infused into these moments where it's like, okay, we had an argument, we had a fight. It was never physical it was all emotional and verbal. Um, and I think that's the other aspect that people think about with abuse. They think about, oh, someone has to be, you know, physically. No, there was no, no aspect of that in terms of that's where I, you know, felt safest because there was never like any bullying or, you know, any, any of those things. But it was the emotional teardown. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because the difference between physical abuse and uh, psychological manipulation abuse when I was first writing my book in 2007 or before 2007, I was interviewing women uh, who were in directors of battered women's shelters. Right. And consistently people told me that that this kind of reality uh, robbing, this mm-hmm. kind of um, manipulation was far worse in terms of its long-term oh, yeah. impact than physical abuse because when people have physical abuse you you know where it's coming from that Mm -hmm. that monster did it to me but we as women when we have that feeling of i don't know what's going on i feel uncomfortable he's a great guy but the relationship Mm -hmm. is not making me feel good or maybe there's something wrong maybe it's me we turn our fingers to ourselves and yeah. we say what did what's going on with me? or what can I do better what or what can I do, I do differently better? yeah mm-hmm. what can I do differently thank yeah. you yes what can I do differently I thought I he wanted this but maybe I didn't get it right so let me yeah. try that and yeah. yeah so that was that was pretty much it and when I like one day it was like this is like I, I remember this day um while I can't tell you exactly how it started I remember waking up and just sitting up and like, this cannot continue because mm. I don't like myself anymore. I don't, I was becoming, I was well, 
I guess, trained or I had just done enough to making sure that nobody knew. My yes. family didn't know. My friends didn't know. And my thing is, you talk to your friends and your family about everything, but you're not talking to them about this. Enough is enough. And I remember that day was like, okay, this is it. And so, you know, we weren't living together or anything else like that. So it was a matter of, okay, change your locks. Mm. Meet, you know, meet them at neutral, you know, neutral places. So, yeah. you know, if the potential for physical stuff had go down, you won't be at risk for that. And that's how this ended. My, and I was like, and now, you know, blocking from phone because I, I don't want this, you know, cycle to, to continue. It's done. And that's when I knew I was like, you are strong. This is in you because you can cold turkey this. There is no need for conversation. There is no need for let's do something else. I was like, there is no nothing else. Today is the day that this just ends. And the day that I made that decision, literally, I think I texted into, you know, it's time I'm going to, we can meet to get your stuff at this and such and such a time. If you're not there, the stuff is going to be, <laughs> you know, where it is. And after that, there was no more conversation. I saw him that one time to, you know, do the you know, switch of stuff. And that was it. Wow. And we never talked again. And it was freeing. It was like, I felt like a butterfly, like just reemerging from a cocoon of toxicity. But yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations and what courage it took to do that. But I'm very, I'm fascinated with that. Uh, and it's not, uh, obviously you're not alone in having that kind of moment. Right. Where you just say, I used to do this. Mm -hmm. I've done this for a long time. I just, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. So was there something that led you to that? Like the day before or the week before where you had a conversation with a friend or you suddenly realized I miss my friends or I, what do you think? The thing is I was still doing the things. Uh -huh. I never stopped. Even when he was like, do we need to see your, he wouldn't, maybe he wouldn't go with me, but I was like, that's not going to stop me from going to see my family. Uh -huh. Okay. You don't have to come. That was my compromise. Don't come then. Cause I don't, I don't need that kind of drama. Uh -huh. um, but I never stopped doing those things but the spirit behind it it was like I'm not gonna if I'm not gonna talk about it to me that's something I'm ashamed about and I was ashamed that I was having those, these type of feelings um but no it was just I literally woke up that day and I was like I can't I don't want to do this anymore this is not going to get better yeah because and it had been enough of those kind of like moving the goalpost moments that I'm like there's never going to be a day and time and place that it's not gonna shift and move and I, I can't give anymore. I don't wanna give anymore. Well, and importantly, and one of the reasons that it takes so much courage to stand in that place and, and stop it, is that when you do feel shame, mm -hmm. you, can't, yeah. you can't even talk about it because mm -hmm. you're so ashamed that you're doing it, that you're in it, that yep. you listen to this. Yeah. Um, but I, I do wanna comment, and especially for people listening, on something really important in what you're saying that, I mean, everything is important, but something uh, that I I just wanna highlight for people was that you, he was not successful in, help, in shifting your perception mm -hmm. about your family. Right. Um, but nonetheless, the persistence and consistency with which he tried to, yeah. in and of itself, was wearing you down. And you're accommodating that that process, even if you didn't end up saying, well, maybe I am too close to my family. Maybe mm -hmm. I should see 
my family. Even yeah. if you didn't get there, you were stuck with him for a long time in trying to please end around him, not talk mm -hmm. about things right. so that you could hold on to the relationship. Yeah and uh, be in his good graces because mm -hmm. you join him in yeah. his vision of the world. You don't have to go all the time to see your right. friends. What's wrong with you, right? Yeah. Um, so that, that took a lot of internal strength that maybe you didn't even know you had at that time. And again, it was more of a reflection of, I do know that I'm strong and nobody's gonna actually tell me that I can't. But even there were things where like, you know, Anytime on our like family calendar, we at the time we okay, I'm, this is the weekend. It's either Mother's Day or it's yeah. you know my mom's birthday or something where it was planned ahead of time. You knew I was going to Pennsylvania. You knew I was going to see my family. And there'd be times where he would say, "Oh, you're going to your family this weekend. I got us tickets for X Y Z." Or, "Oh, I we I told so and so that we were going to meet them for blah blah blah." I'm like, well. That sounds like a personal problem because you already knew this was on the calendar. You can see it on the calendar. And in hindsight, I don't even think there was a thing. It was just a matter of making sure that I didn't do what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, those subtle things like that, that sound, you know, well, you, you know, it was just an activity that we had planned to you know, do together sounds so benign, but it was the exact opposite. It was, you know, a way to manipulate and a, an attempt, like you said, a unsuccessful attempt to you know right. destroy me from you know from the inside but um and in the moment you don't realize that it sounds like you know it sounds like very innocent or he was trying to take you somewhere or you were going to go someplace but no that's not what it was well and that's why we can't complain to our gaslighters can we because right. like i what are you talking about we're supposed to go to my parents so here i am giving you this gift mm -hmm. and you can't even appreciate it right mm -hmm. that kind of stuff yes <laughs> it really is yeah i just want to control you yeah you do anything all it was was control yes. i don't like anything independent that you do mm -hmm. so i just want to control you yeah 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 so um well, good for you and yeah, well thank you i appreciate that i mean it was I, when i talk about it now it helps me not only to see when i'm talking to my friends how to recognize that um but it also is when you're in it it's so hard to explain it or even try to talk about it with somebody else because you know it there's something about it that's not right yes and also because it would be so unbelievable yes one to think of that you're going through that yes. you Lorena the strong woman you are right yeah most people would never like how do you allow yourself to get in such a situation yeah it can't be that bad right so something what, like that <laughs> what happened to your feelings of shame when you got out when you were emerging as this butterfly I didn't start talking about it until I felt I was in it like it was fully over and done so probably maybe like three months later I started telling my friends and my friends were upset with me they're like why didn't you say something or why didn't you talk to us about it um and I was like because I didn't want to you see me as weak or try to give me relationship advice that wasn't gonna work because it had nothing to do with him it had to do with me um, and that I had given that the power that I thought I had willingly away. And I think after three months, like once I, you know, admitted to it, you know, when, in a, you know, conversation with a friend, I had already kind of gotten past it. So I was able to talk about it and it has like, now it's just, I literally can laugh at it because when I can, I recognize it in, you know, other friends or, you know, clients that I work with. 
it's a matter of, yeah, it's going to, I know not everyone is equipped like I am. That's the other thing because I did have a genuine sense of self um, and, a, you know, pretty much um, pretty strong as a woman in general. One, there was an, it was able to, he was able to infiltrate, but at the same time I had my limits. <laughs> and when I was done, most like anything else, when I say I'm done, I'm done. And that's like, there is no halfway, there is no gray. And I woke up and I was done. And that chapter ended. And so from that day, that was when my healing began. And I was able to do that, you know, for the most part on my own. I didn't seek a therapist or anything like that. But I know that's not everybody's story. And so how would someone know if they need to to see a therapist? That's what you can tell me. Because <laughs> I don't I don't know. How about you share that with us? Well, we'll, we'll actually we'll get to that part. So um We'll just talk about like some of the signs of gaslighting, which we've pretty much done in my um, in my account. But where the term came from, because, again, I didn't even know where gaslighting came from. I didn't even know what that meant. But in 1938, well before most of our times, Alfred Hitchcock adapted the play Angel Street into the film Gaslight, in which a man tries to convince his wife that she's going insane so he can steal steal from her. And when he turns on the lights in the attic to search for her jewelry collection, the gas lights would dim the downstairs and he tells her it's all in her imagination. So gradually she becomes and begins to question her own memories and perceptions. And so what are some signs of gaslighting in a relationship, doc, uh, Dr. Stern, that you can kind of build on that I haven't you know, already talked about? Yeah, so um, I may be repeating some and I'm gonna read yeah. them directly from my book. Because okay. There's a long list here. And if you resonate with a few of these or even one of these, doesn't mean you're definitely in a gaslighting relationship, but these are the red flags. And yeah. if they ring true for you, you need to investigate more. Exactly. And so here they are. You're constantly second guessing yourself and mm -hmm. asking yourself, am I too sensitive or am I too something a yes. dozen times a day? Am I too needy? Am I too argumentative? Mm -hmm. You often feel confused and crazy at work. You often feel confused and crazy in your relationship. Mm -hmm. So you things can be going really well on the outside. But on the inside, you're thinking, you know, this is a good job or this is a good relationship. Why right. do I feel so bad? You always are apologizing to your partner. I'm sorry I didn't get it right. To your mother, to mm -hmm. your boss, to, to your friend. Yeah who's the gaslighter. You frequently wonder if you're good enough, a mm -hmm. good enough mom, a good enough partner, or a good enough worker. Yes. You can't understand why with so many apparently good things in your life, you aren't happier. Mm-hmm. You, you buy clothes for yourself or furnishings for your apartment or other personal purchases with your partner in mind, thinking about whether they would like it yes. instead of what would make you feel great. Mm-hmm. You frequently make excuses for your partner's behavior or don't say anything at all to family and friends. Right. I think that's really an important one and it's one that you lived and shared with us. So thank yeah. you. You find yourself withholding information from family and friends yep. so you don't have to ex uh, make excuses. You know something is terribly wrong, but you can never quite express what it is, even mm -hmm. to yourself. Yeah. You start lying to avoid the put-downs and reality twists. Mm -hmm. You have trouble making simple decisions, and this I hear from everyone 
who has been in a gaslighting relationship, that, yeah. that there comes a point where your own decision-making is encumbered yeah. by either what he wants or uh, your self-doubt. Right. You think twice before bringing up seemingly innocent topics of conversation. Mm -hmm. Before your partner comes home, you run through a checklist in your head to anticipate anything you might not have done well or you might have done wrong that day. Yeah. You have the sense, and you talked about this too, Lorena, that you used to be a very different person, more confident, more fun-loving, and more relaxed. Yeah. You feel as though you can't do anything right. Your kids, your friends, try to protect you from your partner. You find yourself furious with people you've always gotten along with before, especially if they challenge your relationship, even if you really deep down agree. You feel hopeless and joyless. And I would say that the soul-destroying effects of long-term gaslighting leave you definitely hopeless much of the time. Yeah. And I don't think I ever felt hopeless, but it was like, this is becoming so frustrating. Like, I like I think one of the, the things where I can't do anything right or I can't ever, I, there's no way I can, I'm never hitting the mark. And that was not so much hopelessness, but it felt frustrating. I just felt if I could just get it right, then we yeah. can move on. But I, hindsight, I realized you're never going to be able to get it right. And that's the dynamic that we're in. And as long as, you know, the goalpost keeps moving, you're going to be in this dynamic. Um, and that was, that realization I think was the biggest one for me. Mm -hmm. um, so talk to us about the effects of gaslighting abuse on one's mental health. I think you've touched on some of that a little bit already. I think, uh, where do I start? So, um, yes, when you are gaslighted or over a period of time, um, you begin to not only feel confused and sometimes crazy, but that confusion, long-term confusion, uh, um, leaves you so unstable in your own skin mm -hmm. that you can develop an anxiety disorder, not just feel anxious much of the time and right. uncertain. Part of um, what happens and why often people have anxiety long-term because of uh, gaslighting is that the, the ground you're living in, in a gaslighting relationship, is a ground of uncertainty and unpredictability. You don't know if tonight is going to be the, the next time he tries to take you down mm -hmm. or chip away at your self-esteem or counter something that you've asked for or, or deny something that you see or deflect an argument that you want to have or a, a complaint that you want to have, that you right. make or blame you for something or shame you with mm -hmm. And so living with something that's unpredictable and uncertain and out of your control, because while you can control yourself in a gaslighting relationship, you're not in control anymore because you've given up, you may control your breathing um, in the moment. Okay, let me take a deep breath here. But what's happening to you is some, the power to um, wrap what's happening to the two of you up in this gaslighting is something you've given away yeah yeah and I think like you mentioned before these things aren't happening when like plates and stuff are flying across and you know this is like a scary environment 
No, you could be, you know, out having this beautiful moment as a couple in the home, outside the home, you know, socializing with friends and family, you know, doing any of those things. And it's just like a slight change in verbiage or how a question is phrased where it's like, oh, wow. And, and the everything shifts and it's not in a mean, nasty, argumentative, loud type of way. And it was they were so subtle. Almost so to the point that it's like you wanted you wanted to be a part of a solution. Here's a great yes. example of mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying. I worked with a couple many many years ago where uh, they as they they were together mm-hmm. and as they walked down the street together, uh, the woman who was very friendly would say hello to people in the neighborhood. If they would smile at her, she would smile back. Right. And her boyfriend was um, very jealous and very insecure and would accuse her of flirting and uh she would say i'm not flirting don't be silly i'm just i'm friendly Mm -hmm. and so one day when they took a walk he said to her you know i have a solution to this why we're always fighting or how we're always fighting Mm -hmm. tell me what that is well if you just look at the ground while we're walking down the street Mm -hmm. Um, then we won't have this fight anymore. And she thought to herself, well, that's weird. But okay, because actually he was right. If she was looking at the ground, then um, she wouldn't be saying hello to people. People wouldn't catch her eye and they wouldn't, and they therefore wouldn't have a fight. And so she started to do that. Mm-hmm. And then it moved into, and when we sit in a restaurant, mm-hmm. if you sit here, um, if you face the wall, then nobody's going to catch your eye. You won't run into any friends because, you know, obviously it's your neighborhood, so mm-hmm. you're going to run into people. And she thought, I don't always want to face the wall. That's weird. Mm-hmm. But no big deal. And he said, I'm just trying to help us not to fight so much. Right. And so when she came to my office, she said to me, well, he's right, isn't he? Because actually we don't fight anymore. Because when we walk down the street, I look at the ground. Mm-hmm. And when we sit in a restaurant, I look at the wall. Right. And to me, that even sounds like, that's to me sounds extreme. And in my own head, I'm thinking I would never do that. But however many years ago, there were so many things I never thought I would do. And I did them. Mm-hmm. And so it just gives me a different perspective as a provider, as a practitioner, as someone who's telling me these things. You too said the same thing, like you would never do or you would never allow or you're too strong for blah, 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 blah. And it can happen. Um, and again, a reason why I thought this was such a good topic, because so many people think that they're impervious to it because I was one of them. Um, but I also know I did have an innate sense that was different than a lot of people so and you ask me given that scenario when you go to a therapist one how do you know it's time to go to a therapist when you are you know noticing these things if you're even able to notice them while you're in it um and what are some of the ways that you can counteract gaslighting abuse symptoms yeah so thank you for that question so first of all one of the things that um, a few things that I want to say that that I can point to that example and and um, spin off from there. That in that example, 
she ended up in my office not because uh not just because of that incident those mm-hmm. incidents where she had to look at the ground but overall she just wasn't happy and wasn't right. comfortable in the relationship and yet when she reported those gaslighting messages mm-hmm. she didn't say he's gaslighting me no said well you know he asked me to do these things and and it's true we don't fight anymore but i'm i'm kind of unhappy so people mm-hmm. go to therapy when they're uncomfortable uh, uh-huh. people go to therapy when they either know there's something wrong can't talk to their friends and can't stop the discomfort yeah. and at some point um you took your your mental health into your own hands yes. and you just said i'm done with it yeah you had a lot of strength and courage and and people do have a lot of strength and courage when they pick up the phone and call a therapist or send mm-hmm. a send exactly a that's the part i was that's the part i wanted to yeah. for you to hone in on yes. that is not a sign of weakness no people by calling a therapist right. because now you can actually talk to someone that's not your family that's, that's right. not your friends that exactly. aren't going to judge you exactly. my my situation was completely different in that i just said enough was enough like even if it didn't mean right. telling anybody else my thing is i gotta get my own shit together first <laughs> Part of the, part of the French, but I had to get my own shit together outside of what my mom and dad would say, or my brother or anybody else outside of what my friends were going to say. My thing is get your shit together first, your own emotions, your own self, you know, worth all that kind of stuff. Cause I realized it was out of whack. And for me, that's what worked. And for me, that was enough. That's right. And in, and you're taking that step, sitting up and saying, I'm done with it and sending yes. that email and then leaving and not having any contact yeah. was was courage yeah. just as it is courage going to dial the number or that we don't right. dial anymore but to call a therapist or I contact a therapist and make that first appointment yes, yes. i need help as often it is someone else's voice yeah someone else's perception that will help you um move off that pl- yeah. move off that time say if someone else says to you, your therapist says to you, well, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Suddenly and often people yeah. will say, well, actually, I think it's not okay. Mm-hmm. But somehow in the gaslighting relationship, we often don't create the space right. for us to think about our own opinion. And when the person is tearing down and invested in tearing down yep. your opinion, your perception, your character, your um, your psychology so that you don't have space. Yeah. You accommodate to that. You accommodate, yeah. you accommodate till you are giving up so much of yourself. As you said, you don't recognize yourself anymore. Absolutely. And so going to a therapist <clears throat> where you can begin to be your full feeling self, where you can, where somebody's listening to you and validating your feelings rather than trying to twist your feelings. Mm-hmm. And that interaction in and of itself can be very healing. Right. And you don't have to wait until you get to um, this place where you feel torn down. That first twinge of, hmm, that didn't sit well. Make the call then. Make the call then because it could be a simple thing is learning some tools, not only to recognize it, but like before you even get in too deep. That's um, great advice. Yeah, Maurice. that is such great advice because often people wait until not only are they uncomfortable, but they're in pain. Yeah, that they don't recognize their life. That their life is now they are isolated and they right. don't have 
They don't have the support system that they used to. When early on in a gaslighting relationship, you can begin to recognize, well, wait a minute, if I just take a deep breath here and say, I'm, I, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Right. Well, you know what? I want to have this conversation, but you keep twisting what I'm saying, or you're not answering me. So here's an example. Let's say um, I say to you, uh, Lorena, like, what's what's going on with you? I'm like really nervous that you don't want to be my friend anymore. Let's say we're right, and you, um, or I'm really concerned about our friendship. I, mm-hmm. when you travel, you just never even pick up the phone and call me, and so you right. are away so long. Right. And we're just, you don't know what's going on in my life. And we used to be so close. And you say to me, honey, you're just so sensitive. Mm-hmm. And so put that in a male-female romantic relationship. Honey, yeah. you're on a business trip and I can't reach you. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you're going. You don't yeah. even give me your itinerary. Right. Honey, you're so paranoid. Mm-hmm. What's your problem? Yeah. And And the thing is, I never did that. I never turned it on my friends or my family. I would just be like, I'm just so busy. Or, you know, in that scenario, it would be like, I'm just busy. Got a lot on my plate, even though I always do. But, and I make time. And when I'm on my A game, yeah, I'm always busy. I mean, that's my life. I always have a lot of irons in the fire. And I prioritize the things that are important to me. And in those situations, when I was confronted with it, instead of saying what's really going on, I just would say, you know, I have a full plate or I'm busy or there's just been a lot going on. And it would just always be deflected, you know, back again onto me, never so really broaching, broaching the subject. You didn't gaslight. You're not a gaslighter. You didn't say there's something wrong with me. No. Because even in the situation where you, the gaslighter, say, hey, honey, you're too sensitive or you're too paranoid. Mm-hmm. Maybe I am sensitive, but you still didn't call me. Right. Like that is true, mm-hmm. but the results are the same. Are the same. Me. Yeah, exactly. And so for you to say, I'm just really busy. I was immersed in my work. I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think of you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Is very different than you're saying, oh my goodness, friend, you are just two mm-hmm. cents. Yeah, exactly. So let's elucidate this. Let's talk about the stages. Cause I think it's important before you can make a you know, therapist appointment or even recognize what's going on you've got to be able to talk about you know, how we get to that point. So yeah. stage one, the what are you talking about stage? Talk yeah. to us about what happens in this stage. So in the early stages of gaslighting, it is that strange thing that somebody says to you like, hey, why don't you just look down at the ground? Or um, mm-hmm. in my own case with my ex-husband, um, he when he would be late for dinner repeatedly and I would complain about that. Hey, you know what? I, um, I really appreciate it. If you'd be on time, uh, it's, it hurts my feelings. I feel disrespected. He would say, uh, you know, you have a problem with time. Mm. You think time is important in that way. It's not. Mm. And, um, I would think and would say, no, don't be ridiculous. Time Mm -hmm. is important. Right. You know, and maybe I wasn't so emotionally intelligent in my response to him. I could simply said, don't agree, mm-hmm. which I ultimately ended up saying rather than it's ridiculous. But I did actually think he was being ridiculous. And so what happened for me and in the early stages is that happens over and over and over again 
to the point where those silly statements, honey, you know, you left me, you left me too long at the, um, uh, sitting in the movie theater while you were getting popcorn. Where, where were you? Right. Oh my God. Like, what is the matter with you? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. So in that situation, rather than saying I was getting popcorn, there was a long line, like, no, there's something wrong with you for complaining to me. Right. So when those complaints happen over and over again, over time, and you're getting the same response and the same response means some way that you're deficient, some yes. way that uh, you're lacking, some way that you're not okay. Right. Um, you end up thinking maybe he's right. And in that moment, that's the time to call a therapist. And in that, those moments. Exactly. Maybe not the first time because the first time is easily a one-off. But that second time, the feeling is going to be the same. That's right. It's not going to resonate. And it's not going to get better without both of you seeking help. Because aren't we as women mm -hmm. wanting to accommodate? All the time. Wanting to, aren't we socialized to step into someone's shoes and see it from their perspective? Be empathetic. Be empathetic. <laughs> yes. And yeah. so don't we then st end up standing too long in those shoes and yes. forgetting to go back to our own? Yes, we do. And so. And asking yourself, if my friend said this to me, the same thing that I'm experiencing, what would I say? Exactly. Because a lot of times I was like, what if I was if one of my friends that I cared about, that I loved, uh, you know, was in the same situation, what would I say? And for some reason, I never did those things because I was like, oh, well, they don't because they don't understand the dynamics. They don't understand, you know, all the full picture. He's not hitting me. We're okay. just having these miscommunications or we're just like, I'm, I can do better. I can tweak some things. You know, I do have a strong personality, you know, those type of things. Uh -huh. But what would you tell a friend? And in that moment, if you would tell a friend something, do that for yourself. And sometimes that's hard and that's, that's challenging. Yes. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with saying the first time or the second time, well, maybe he's right. Well, and then thinking about it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and saying, you know what? He's not right. That's right. not, that isn't, time is important. Yes. It is important to be. And it can be right for him, but it's not right for you. That's and if it's not right for you, then that's that. It's not about him or her or, you know, any of that. If it's not right for you to the point that it's not resonating or it doesn't sit well with you, then it's not right for you. And that's okay. Yes. It can be, maybe time isn't important for him and that's fine. And if there is no happy peace, you know, peaceable way that the two of you can coexist with those two different paradigms and ideologies, then that's, that's the big enough sign. Yeah. And, and that's good. Enough. It end, and it ends in divorce and in my yeah. case, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so then when you enter stage two mm -hmm. of gaslighting, you know, you're there because you are ruminating yes and going over and over the same conversation again and again and again and you are uh not interested in how you feel you're interested in who's right well was he right and you're interested in defending yourself um no i'm not a paranoid person or mm -hmm. no I'm, i am sensitive but it's a good thing yeah to prove your worth trying to convince 
the other person, right? more powerful person who's trying to tear you down, trying to convince them yeah. that you are okay, that you're a good enough wife, mother, mm-hmm. uh, whoever. Right. And it's that the maybe you have a point is when you start relinquishing that power that you already know that you have. Yes. Yes. I mean, it, there is a bridge and mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're talking about human behavior and human psychology. So it isn't that Monday you're in stage one and two. <laughs> right. Two. Yeah. It doesn't happen that way at all. <laughs> it could be that you're in stage one for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And then you're in stage two for also a very long time. And maybe yeah. there's moments where the gas siding is quiet. Mm-hmm. So you are then back in stage one again and yeah. you don't really see the need to go fix the relationship or fix yourself because it doesn't really happen very often. And sometimes he just says these weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is um, one of the things that's very hard in stage two is to walk away. And this is where therapy can be very helpful yeah. because um, most of the people who come to therapy about a gaslighting relationship, even if they don't know they're in one and sometimes they come because they've read my book or read an article and it mentions gaslighting and they say oh my god this is this is that um is um it's hard because let me start that sentence again it's hard because you don't want to walk away mm-hmm. when your gaslighter thinks so badly of you yeah you don't want to walk away until you have their approval about something Right. And until they're, they're, uh, they've quieted their grip on you in the moment. And what you learn in coming to therapy is you've got to walk away. You've yeah. got to opt out of that back and forth. Or simply, if there is no ongoing back and forth, you need to opt out of the dynamic that you're creating for yourself that you need his approval. Mm-hmm. in order to establish the reality. And one of the things that happens sometimes for people is like, if you give yourself an extreme example, Mm -hmm. um, if I say to, uh, if if you try to convince me right now Mm -hmm. that the scarf that I'm wearing is bright red. Yeah. No, there's no way you can convince me of that. No. But if you try to convince me as my gaslighter, that I'm too sensitive mm-hmm. um, and that that's what we should be talking about, not right. your absence or not your unavailability. Right. Somehow I'll acknowledge I'm sensitive, but I'll make that the problem rather mm-hmm. than saying that is not the problem. Right. 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 And so the skills of emotion regulation, the skills of taking a deep breath, of talking to yourself in a positive way, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can walk away. Yeah. Of reframing for yourself, this is this seems like a fight, but this is just his power move. Right. Right. This sounds like a conversation, but it's not. I'm more important. My yes. feelings are more important. Right. And yes. I always counsel people that in those moments. If you were in a true discussion or a true argument without gaslighting, you might be heated. You might mm-hmm. feel strongly about your opinion. You wouldn't feel like crap. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And so when you are feeling really crappy in an interaction or you're feeling really put down or you're feeling humiliated or that somebody is shaming you, you are in an interaction that you need to get out of. Right. To preserve yourself, to reclaim your reality. Yeah. And practicing reality is really a good thing to do. Like, what do you know to be true? Yeah. Right? And what happens over time in gaslighting, it's like that that button is broken. Mm -hmm. Like yes. you don't, it's hard to know what's true, what's real. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And so that brings us to stage three, the it's all my fault stage. And while it's the the best time to get out is in stage one, but this I would venture to say that it's virtually impossible to leave in stage one, potentially more likely in stage two, but still very challenging. Yeah. And once you get to stage three, it's like almost like, okay, you have to hit rock bottom before you can kind of, yeah. or what's worse is that your partner leaves you. Mm -hmm. um, and you're stuck in the legacy of stage yes, three. Yes, that aspect. So talk to us about stage three. Yeah. So in, in um, my book, The Gaslight Effect, way before I wrote The Recovery Guide, I used an example in stage three of somebody who uh, was shopping for dinner for her husband mm -hmm. and she she got to the store a little bit late and they were out of the kind of fish that he liked and she knew that um he would be upset and of course he was upset he was uh if you really loved me you would have made sure that you were at the store at first thing so that they wouldn't have been out of the fish and what was so heartbreaking was that she was at the point where she agreed with him mm. If I really loved him, I would have gotten to the store earlier. If I really loved him, I would have gotten the fish he wanted. I would have done anything. And I'm not a good enough wife because if I was a good enough wife, I would do all these things. Right. And so in that moment, she had joined him, yeah. which ultimately is the the work of the gaslighter to get you to join his perception. You're now a co-conspirator. Yes. <laughs> exactly. That's a great way to put it you are the co-conspirator yeah tearing yourself down yeah and what's really important about that is if you have walked into that role you can walk out yes absolutely you can give up that role i don't like this role anymore yeah. and it's not that simple obviously no and it needs you need so much courage, whether you're doing it with a therapist, without a therapist, with the support, the loving support of friends and family who who can buoy you at a time where you need that lift. It takes so much courage. And even if you don't quite believe it all yet, believe that you are um, worthy, that you can reclaim your reality and start again, even if you're terrified, you're going to have a gaslight hangover and you're not going to be able to find somebody who um, won't gaslight you or you will be so scared to get into another relationship. Right. You can do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've been we've kind of laid the groundwork, groundwork for what gaslighting is. So on the flip side, let's talk about the recovery part. Yeah. Let's start with mindset shifts. And sometimes that's easier said than done. But what shifts need to be made in order to put one, pull oneself out of this dynamic? Thank you for the question. But before we go there, can I just say, um, I'd like to say a word about the gaslighter, please. Sure. 
So people say, you know, what's the mental health regime for these horrible, mean gaslighters? Um, one thing is that's important to know about gaslighters is people aren't born gaslighters. There is no particular personality type um, that makes you a gaslighter. Gaslighting is socially learned. It's a series of behaviors and it works. And one of the reasons that, it, that people do it is that it works. And if you happen into it, meaning you didn't learn it from somewhere, but in a moment you don't want to tell the truth and so you blame it on the person who's asking the question, you can see mm -hmm. that, gee, I didn't, have to, I didn't have to confess, I didn't have to right. tell. And um, the other way you learn it is it was done to you. Mm -hmm. Some powerful person used these techniques and you learned them really well. You were a good student or you watched it. You watched it happening in your family. You watched it happening in the workplace. Right. And you thought um, either, wow, that's just an outright lie. Or he deflected that. Or he yes. just twisted. Or he didn't answer the question. But then it's available in your mind share as yeah. something that you can use in those moments. So I just want to make that point that it is socially learned. And there are times where you can confront the person and have a conversation with that person. And the per and your gaslighter will say, oh my God, I had no idea I was doing that to you. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. And there are more times where you confront someone who's invested in a gaslighter and they're going to say, oh what, you're taking a psychology class today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? And so it's in confronting a gaslighter, you need to be careful. Right. You need to be ready. You need to be, and you're the expert on the person you're living with. So you need to proceed carefully. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that's one of the steps that you can take if you want to limit a relationship and stay, gaslighting in a relationship and stay, but we'll get there. So the mindset shift, um, one of the most important things, back to your question of how do you leave a gaslighting relationship or how do you decide whether you want to leave, is to, to be at a point where you are um, willing to leave the relationship even if you don't have to. Right. And that will require that you gather your resources. You, first of all, begin a regime of really good self-care, meaning... Mm -hmm are sleeping yes. you are uh, sleeping the a good number of hours a night you're eating healthfully mm -hmm. and you are moving your body so that yeah. you can be in shape because you are going to need stamina mm -hmm. physical stamina as well as emotional stamina to to stop the gaslighting limit the gaslighting or leave the relationship right um, your integrity is more important than the relation that holding on to the relationship as it is right absolutely and there are two things that I want to interject because I think we have inadvertently done this but we have been using the pronoun he um in terms of again the majority of our audience is women and I want to be clear we are not making the assumption that all of the listeners of this a podcast episode are women Thank you, Lorraine. Women who identify, you know, as women. This is about power. So yes. you can be in a same-sex relationship, and you know, with a woman. I'm talking yes. to an audience of women who in potentially in a relationship with another woman, and you can still be gaslit. 
You can be in a transgender relationship. It's about power. Either one of you can be the gaslighter. And, you know, two men can be in a relationship and can still be gaslit. So this is not about gender. It's not about cis or trans. It's about power. Same way we talk about rape. Rape is not about sex. Rape is about power. And I think we have been inadvertently, and I just have become consciously aware of it, that we've been using the he pronoun. Yes. But that is that is an oversight on our, our collective behalves. But I want to make sure that even if we continue to use that pronoun, you know, from this point forward, this is not about gender. This is not about sex. This is literally about a power dynamic. Um, and so first, you know, just so we can clarify that. So we're not, you know, excluding anybody inadvertently or otherwise. Thank you, Marina. And I I definitely will um, say yes to that. I agree. The reason that I use it so comfortably Mm -hmm. is that that is actually the pairing I saw most often in my office. However, I definitely have seen, um, seen and know of relationships that are same sex, Mm -hmm. gender, um, and whether they're women, men, it's power. Yeah, absolutely. What defines gaslighting is that kind of um, the seeking to undermine somebody's reality from the seat of power in the Mm -hmm. relationship. So it is about a power differential. Right. Yes. And so the Gaslight Effect Recovery Guide helps one explore past and present relationships, gain the confidence to leave an abusive partner, set boundaries and most importantly, heal. So let's talk about how this book is broken down and how you suggest people use the book as a recovery guide. Yeah. What a great question. Well, if you want, you can just go right through the book and the parts that you like best, uh, meaning that there are people who want to do a lot of, let me think about that, and other people who want to answer questions and Mm -hmm. other people who want to go through checklists. So the book almost in every few pages, there is either a checklist or there is a new topic um, to, uh, I call them taking it deeper. Right. That's what I call them. And um, taking it deeper. And there are one way to use the book, actually, that is, I think, important if you're in therapy, for example, or if you like to think about the psychoanalytic concepts underneath if you want to learn more about though there is a in the back of the book i'm going to have trouble finding the page right now but in the back of the book there is um the on page 256 of this book there is a quick guide to gaslighting so there are a lot of um it, it takes the book and breaks it down into where you can find different aspects so you Mm -hmm. might want to take a look there if you don't know where to start okay Um, and right after that is appendix b which is understanding the behavior and the understanding the behavior lists all of the psychoanalytic concepts that are the taking it deeper part Mm -hmm. so talking about mirroring talking about your ideal self talking about healthy narcissism talking about the urge to merge um talking about, for example, attachment theory, talking about pathological accommodation, which we talked a lot about today. Right. Um, And otherwise, I would say start at the beginning 
And if you are in stage one or stage two or stage three, look for those parts of the book. Mm -hmm. Chapter three is stage one, what are you talking about? Right. And you can start there. Yeah. But even if you're in, st in chapter, uh, even if you're in stage two, mm -hmm. you can still start back in stage one to see what happened to you. Right. How you got there. Mm -hmm. How you got there. Um, there's lists, of, for example, practicing opting out of an argument with your gaslighter. Right. Things you can say to stop the tango while avoiding an argument. Mm -hmm. And even though those are simple statements like, you're right, but I don't want to keep arguing about mm -hmm. this, or this conversation has gone as far as it can go, yeah. sometimes they're hard to come up with in yeah. the moment. And yeah. when often if you say these out loud to yourself, you'll say, that doesn't sound like me. I mm -hmm. could or that yeah. is me. Yeah. I don't want to continue the conversation right now. Simple, yeah. direct, simple. Yeah. So that's one way to use the book, to go through and look at the lists, look at the quizzes, take the quizzes. Mm -hmm. The quizzes are enlightening. Even right. if you may think, I know the right answer here. Mm -hmm. Take the quizzes. Yeah. All right. And we've talked about self-awareness and self-compassion and how they connect to both prevention, recognition, and recovery. But what makes one particularly vulnerable to gaslighting abuse? Many things. Um, if you are somebody who likes it when things are peaceful, if you mm -hmm. are someone who is uh, agreeable, yeah. um, if you have been taught that empathy is a good thing and you should spend more time in someone else's shoes, yeah. if you... Um, watched it happening mm. when you were young in either you uh, saw it, you experienced it, and you noticed that accommodating works really well. Yeah. Um, if you, uh, and there's a long list also in the book that you can read, um, but if you are more interested in your partner's feelings than your own, mm. if you um, have a goal in mind, that you're going to get to more easily if you agree. Yeah. Many, many ways, uh, many reasons that you're vulnerable. Gotcha. So other than the original, the Gaslight Effect, and now the Gaslight Effect Recovery Guide, are there any additional resources you suggest for our listeners who are interested in exploring any or all of the modalities mentioned in this episode as part of their whole person approach to taking care of themselves before during and after being subject to gaslighting abuse? That's a great question. Um, I would say that self-care, any place you can get your hands on taking better care of yourself uh, is really important because again, you need the physical stamina and there of course, better you take care of your physical self, the more um, uh, at peace and um, uh, the greater sense of well-being you'll have and right. you need that sense of well-being to move forward checking in with your feelings is a wonderful app that we at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence worked on with the generous donation from a uh, the former uh, head of Pinterest mm -hmm. and that app is called how we feel okay and you can check in with your feelings multiple times a day you build, can build your self-awareness you can track patterns of your feelings and notice that, for example, every Saturday you're you're really feeling um, insecure and upset and 
and realize, for example, that's the day that you spend exclusively with your gaslighter mm. your office. Yeah. Uh, and also the, um, the app, How We Feel, is can, you can take a course, basically, in emotional intelligence. Right. So how to recognize and understand how to label your emotions, yeah. how to express them and regulate them. Yeah. And self-regulation is a very important part of being able to not only understand what's going on by paying attention to boundaries, but also to, uh, to help you leave the relationship when you feel, um, uh, to help you explore leaving and to help you leave. Mm -hmm. To help you leave the, what, what I meant to say was to help you leave the de destructive dynamic Right. That is part of the relationship because yeah. if you cannot manage your emotions in that moment, you will be compelled to join your gaslighter. Right. And right before I ask you your parting words of wisdom, because this episode was um, had a tinge of you know personal um, disclosure and self disclosure for me, I want to say that you only stay in a relationship for as long as it serves something in you. And sometimes that's very hard to come to grips with that even this toxic dysfunctional relationship is still serving a purpose in you. Um, and that's why you're staying in it. And so before I give the final word to Dr. Stern, it's if therapy is what it takes, let that be your resource to find out not just about the gaslighting, but what about this relationship serves for you? Because there's still something, otherwise you would have left, you know, whatever, however long ago when that first infraction happened. Um, so take, take stock in, take that into account and take stock of what exactly the relationship truly means and in terms of what aspect is actually serving you. And in light of all the things that clearly aren't, um, but some aspect of that relationship, whether it's, harmful or otherwise is still serving you. And that's, that's the part that needs to be addressed. So with no further ado, Dr. Stern, any parting words of wisdom? Well, I will definitely piggyback on what you said because it used to be um, prevailing wisdom that uh, uh, people in harmful relationships, self-harming -harm themselves it, by staying in the relationship were interested in um, uh, not taking care of themselves and um, were masochistic. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't believe that. That's I not believe, true. <laughs> I believe that people are in relationships, uh, I would say a little bit differently because there's something they're getting that mm -hmm. they need. Yeah. Right. And in that way, to use your language, the relationship serves them for that mm -hmm. period of time. And uncovering for yourself what that deep need is that need that's so deep that you're willing to compromise your integrity right. for it is, is the work of therapy, is the work of self-reflection, is the work of my book. Mm -hmm. And right. so when you say, how do you use the book? You know, it is that any way that you can open a window or a door to self-discovery um, is the way to use the book. And for you, as I said, uh, and maybe I'm just repeating myself, it, if you're using the checklists or you're using the self-reflective moments or you're just going through it straight up, um, find that window, find that door, what anything that you can understand about yourself that 
makes you vulnerable mm-hmm. to um, to being in a in a gaslighting relationship when you have that need and look to fill that need yourself and elsewhere um, in a healthy relationship and and hold yourself with compassion. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Stern. Thanks for joining Women's Health Wisdom and Wine. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, remember to follow us, review us, and give us five stars. Till we meet again, remember, nourish your flourish.